Nothing better to wake you up and get your day going than a cup of Boyer's Coffee. Locally owned and operated the finest coffee on the market since 1965, right here in Colorado. It's roasted daily and delivered fresh weekly to your local grocery store, or you can do as I do and uh, reach them online at boyerscoffee.com and they'll deliver it right to your house. They have so many great flavors, so many good products uh, that you're going to bounce around and and try many different ones, I'm sure. They had the truck up on Washington with uh, all kinds of promotions going through the uh, end of April. So if you're up on the north side, go and see their food truck up there. You're going to be glad you did. Boyer's Coffee. Fun fact, did you know that roasting coffee at altitude in Denver is what makes Boyer's Coffee so good? Roasting coffee at elevation gives Boyer's Coffee a special advantage where they're able to roast coffee at a lower temperature so it makes the coffee smoother than any coffee you'll get at lower altitudes. Boyerscoffee.com. You'll love them. Love to tell you about my friends at Steel. First of all, it's S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L. They have over 9,000 dealers around the country. They're simply the best. If you have any kind of project inside the house, outside the house, whether it's chainsaws, blowers, we're all doing spring cleanings, trimming up outside, uh, you need to go and get either gas, electric, or battery-powered tools that will help you get the job done. And And they have so many different products depending on your needs, all the way up to, you know, people who do these things for a living. It's a company built on real power, tools built for real people and dealers who deliver real service. Steel, simply the best. S-T-I-H-L. Find them at steeldealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, it's opening weekend and Drew has Charlie Blackman talking about the upcoming season and the Nolan Arenado trade. Well, initially, I'm pretty bummed out that you know, I'm not going to be around Nolan anymore. He's a good buddy of mine and uh, I like playing baseball with Nolan. And then now that we're a little bit further down the road, I'm a little, you know, a little more comfortable with it. Plus his philosophy on hitting. Plan A is always look for the hard straight one right down the middle and then work off of that. And flirting with 500. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I'd like to hit 500 again sometime. That would be cool. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a comment. It helps other people find the show. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome, everybody. It is show number 90, which uh, is pretty cool. It's a new number, different number. Next week will be 91. So uh, there you go. We are on the eve of the start of the major league season as we tape this on a Wednesday. So fired up. Just got back from Scottsdale. I always tell you how much I love Scottsdale this time of year, and it felt more like baseball. I mean, last year I was there early, and then everything got shut down. But the weather's starting to get great. Scottsdale's warm. The restaurants were a buzz, which was, you know, wonderful to see. And calling the games, I hope you were able to catch a, a few of them on AT&T Sportsnet. Even though it wasn't full capacity or even half capacity, at Salt River Fields, you were able to have about 23, 2,400 people. And just seeing, you know, kids rolling down the hill out, out in left and, and right field on the berms or just the buzz, the murmur of people, you know, chatting away, enjoying the sunshine with baseball as the backdrop. It, w- it was wonderful. And I guess when something gets taken away for a significant period, you appreciate it that much more. And that's what I was uh, finding 
myself doing as we were sitting up there calling uh, the Rockies games. And uh, it just gets me that much more fired up for opening day and, and what this season will be. You know, we know that uh, there were a lot of things that took place uh, in the offseason, one very unpopular move. We get that. And uh, now we have to move forward and, and see where the Rockies will be. Uh, one of the beautiful things about baseball, not just Rockies baseball, but baseball in general, is you never know what you're going to see. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. There have been 150-plus years of baseball. And they play this high volume of games. Now they play 162. And yet you and I both know it is a guarantee that we are going to see something or a bunch of somethings this year that we've never seen before. And that's one of the really cool things. I mean, yeah, there's going to be games that go by and I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, yep, don't remember that one, don't remember that one. Uh, but then there'll be a game that stands out or there'll be a moment that stands out or an individual exploit that stands out. You know, the holy bleep moment where you go, man, I haven't seen that before or I can't believe that guy just made that play. And uh, that's why I always say it is the last bastion of true reality television, live sports and in particular baseball, uh, the uniqueness uh, of baseball. So I'm so fired up and uh, the weather, you know, as, as we listen to this podcast or you listen to this podcast, the weather over the weekend for the Dodgers series is supposed to be just beautiful, 70 plus every day and as it should be as we welcome in the spring. Before we get going more on, on Rocky's uh, topics, I want to share a story with you that popped into my head for whatever reason. Uh, earlier today, and there, there's so many wonderful sports stories out there. There's so many great baseball stories. And this one involves uh, a guy who's a Hall of Famer, uh, a, a guy that um, was true to baseball form, a bit of a character, loved to refer to himself in the third person. And uh, as soon as I say that, people are your, your brains uh, are, are cranking away. And yes, I'm talking about Ricky Henderson. And, uh, you know, the Rockies are going to have to run this year to help create offense. And they have a team that can run as long as they can get on base. They have a, a bunch of guys that can run. So I was thinking about Ricky. And uh, there's so many wonderful stories. Some have been embellished. I'm quite sure of regarding Ricky, but this one that I'm going to share with you was told to me by a person who worked for the A's and was uh, uh, intimately involved in the following. So I know it to be factual. I know it to be true. Ricky Henderson fairly early in his career, it established himself as this great player. You know, Ricky wasn't just a base dealer. Ricky hit the ball over the wall. Ricky was, you know, Ricky was a, was a great player. That's why he's a Hall of Famer. And he got a million, he got a new contract and he got a million dollar bonus. And they, you know, give Ricky the check naturally for the Oakland A's for a million dollars. And I guess a few weeks go by and somebody in accounting realizes that that check has not been cashed. So they reach out to 
this friend of mine who worked for the A's and was in the position where he could go and ask Ricky, you know, hey, were you able to cash that check? And so he went up to Ricky. Again, now it's a few weeks, a million dollar check. This isn't a check for, you know, a couple hundred dollars that, oh, somehow you you had misplaced or forgot about. And so he asked Ricky, he said, you know, Ricky, you know that check the organization gave you, the bonus check, um, were you able to cash it? And Ricky said, no. He said, well, where, where's the check? And Ricky said, I framed it. And, of course, Ricky, the way he phrases things, he said, Ricky framed that. And my friend said, what do you mean you framed it? No, Ricky framed it. up. It's up in my house. When you walk in the house, you see it's in a frame. And so my friend went back and reported to accounting or whoever his bosses were and said, yeah, Ricky framed the check. And they said, well, tell Ricky, we'll get him a replica that he can frame and put on his wall. He needs to put that thing in a bank. That is a true story. Ricky Henderson framed a million-dollar check, didn't cash it. And then uh, a few weeks later, the A's got a hold of him and said, listen, you got to put that in the bank, and then uh, we'll get you one if you want to frame it and put it up on your wall next to your jerseys or whatever. Fun story. True story, because there's some other ones about Ricky Henderson that uh, have been, as I said, embellished for entertainment purposes that may not be uh, factually based. But uh, that one, because it comes from a reliable source, uh, is a true one. All right, we move on. Terrible news last week with the Rockies and and injuries. And, And Scott Oberg was my guest on the podcast last week. We taped that interview on a Tuesday evening and he was scheduled to pitch on Wednesday. And within 24 hours of saying, you know, he felt great and he was, you know, really optimistic. He had four shutout appearances and everything was was looking up. And, and though he said the blood clots are, are certainly going to be somewhere in the in the back of my mind, I feel like you know, they've arrested the problem. Well, unfortunately, evidently, uh, that was not the case because literally less than 24 hours after we were talking about it, uh, he couldn't make his appearance. The blood clots had cropped up again and he was in surgery and two procedures last week. And now his future as a baseball player um, is completely in doubt. And The normal sentiments apply here. You want him to be healthy. He's a 31-year-old guy. You want him to be healthy for his family, for his kids moving forward. And But you can't stop and, and pause and really feel for... For Scott Oberg, who, you know, was in should be in the middle of the prime of his career and in all likelihood will not be able to continue. Now, I don't want to announce his retirement. It's not my place to do that. Uh, but this is now the fourth time that he has dealt with these blood clots. And at some point in time, you just would think you can't continue to take that risk. So... That was a huge blow, number one, naturally, to Scott, who I think, uh, you know, if you've heard him, he's been on this podcast two or three times over the last uh, couple of years. Just a great guy. Deep thinker, well-spoken, well-respected, and well-liked in the clubhouse. And then when you take it from the application of what he is trained to do and where he fit in the Rockies' pecking order in the bullpen, he's... 
He's right behind Daniel Bard. And if Daniel Bard needs a, a day off, he was going to be your closer. And it's set up for, you know, really two outstanding arms late in games to protect leads for the Rockies. And now they'll be without uh, Scott. But uh, as we said, most importantly, we wish him nothing but good health um, moving forward. So that was uh, that, that was a huge blow. I mean, when you talk about the other significant injury of the spring, Kyle Freeland, you know, at some point in time, Kyle is due back. I don't like shoulders. Uh, we always say with elbows and shoulders for pitchers, um, they're almost guaranteed to at some point be dealing with one or the other. Elbows always take a long time. If it's Tommy John surgery, we're ta- you're talking about well over a year before they return to competition. But the success rate of guys returning to competition is is it's huge. I mean, it's it's better than ninety percent. The guys come back and they pitch again at their previous level, if not better, because they've done so much strengthening around um, the elbow, muscles in the shoulder and the forearm, and and a lot of times guys come back throwing harder. It's a long process, so we always. Uh, gasp when we hear, oh, he's going to have Tommy John. It's like Peter Lambert. We, you know, nobody mentions Peter Lambert because you're not going to see him, uh, you know, maybe till, you know, next year, 2022. So it's a long period um, uh, to be away, but they come back from it. In the case of shoulders, shoulders are really dicey, really dicey. There are guys that never recover. I'm not suggesting that's going to be the case with Kyle Freeland, but there's more gray area. So they're going to be really cautious, as they should be, in the rehabilitation of Freeland, who has a strain in the rotator cuff. And I think if you see him, and they, the Rockies got good news because, you know, they avoided surgery um, and and they feel like it can be a, a shorter term thing. They said a month. There, there's no there's no way he's pitching in a month. I, I will be flabbergasted if he is pitching in a month from the injury. If he's pitching at some point in the first half and, and pitching as we saw him throughout the spring and, and in large measure last year, what a victory for Kyle personally and for the Rockies overall. And that's where my fingers are crossed um, that that's what occurs. So now you start breaking things down. I'm not going to spend this podcast uh, talking about who is going to be, you know, this or that or predictions in, in the National League West, predictions overall in the National League. There's enough rhetoric out there. There's enough things in print. There's enough podcasts that cover that sort of thing. I'll make a couple of, uh, you know, notes and, and a couple of predictions, if you will, uh, at the end of this soliloquy. Um, but I'm not going to get bogged down with that. I'm going to talk about overall what we can potentially see from the Rockies this year, what we need to see as we evaluate who they are right now and going forward. And by the way, did I mention that Charlie Blackman's on the podcast today? We're having an interview with Charlie Blackman. Yep. Chuck Nasty will be uh, aboard, and that is uh, always entertaining. So on paper, do the Rockies match up with the Dodgers and the Padres? No, on paper, they don't. Not close on paper. Sports not played on paper. They they don't have the sex appeal uh, of what the Dodgers have put together over the last better part of a decade now or what the Padres more recently have put together. The biggest question out of the gate will be, can this rotation, which is the strength of the team, we've been talking about this for weeks on end, can this rotation now devoid of Freeland for you know, a fairly significant period of time. Can that keep them afloat? Can that keep them competitive 
And then can the offense generate more runs than they have the last couple of years? And at first glance, you'll say, well, how the hell can that happen? Nolan Arenado now plays for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was your cleanup hitter. So it has to be a collective thing, and it has to be associated with the emergence of several players. Who those players are, we can identify candidates, but we can't say unequivocally, oh, it's going to be Ryan McMahon, he's going to become a 35-homer guy. It's going to be Garrett Hampson, he's going to be a 15-homer a guy who hits 280 and is on base 36% of the time and steals 40 bases. I hope both of those things are the case, and they are candidates, they have the ability to... You know, it's not far-fetched to see Ryan McMahon, who's already hit 24 in a season, to be a 30-plus homer guy. Garrett Hampson, we've seen glimpses of his power. I mean, he's already had a couple of ball games where he's hit two in a game. We know he can fly. He, you know, stole six bases in spring training. Uh, he's, he's a guy that has to cut down on his strikeouts, as does Ryan McMahon. That'll be a continuing theme and get on base and recap it. Because I don't think the Rockies are just going to sit back and knock the ball over the wall. One of the things that's exciting as this season gets going is the signing of C.J. Crone. If he can be who he was in Tampa a couple of years ago, who he was in Minnesota, and we know how many home runs Minnesota you know, has hit recently. Well, in 2019, he had 25 home runs. The most career at-bats he's ever had is 501, and that was with uh, Tampa three years ago when he hit 30 home runs. So if he stays on the field, stays healthy, and gets 475-plus at-bats, and he's playing half his games at Coors Field, I don't think it's it, it's out of the realm of, of possibility that he hits 30-plus with the Rockies. And he had a splendid spring. So I'm excited about watching him play and, and swing the bat every day uh, in the middle of the lineup. The biggest question of all with the Rockies in 2021 and moving forward is what will happen with Trevor Story. And it's simple. We've touched on this before. It's the elephant in the room. Trevor's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. If you could sit in his shoes for a moment, it's the one time in his career, player you know, in their mid to late 20s, that's going to have the opportunity, uh, you know, to rob Fort Knox, if you will. It's not rob, he's, he's earned it, but, but to, to get that enormous payday. And there, one would assume, would be a number of suitors or, or a certain number of suitors. So if you're Trevor, do you want to preemptively sign, even if the, if the Rockies were to step forward and say, hey, we're going to give you X or offer you X, or do you want to wait and say, let me go into this offseason and, and see what's out there, how much money's out there, who is interested in me. That's probably hard from his standpoint to pass on. And I understand that. So now you have to look at it from an organizational perspective and say, if he plays the whole year, he could walk away and all you're going to get is a compensatory first-round pick for one of the game's elite players. Big risk. Huge risk. Doesn't mean you can't sign him. I mean, you could play out the whole season and then, you know, he gets offers from, you know, two or three other teams and, and, and 
maybe you make him an offer as well, and, and he decides to stay put. It's a risk, though. You can trade him in the first few months of the season. You can walk it up to the trade deadline and see, you know, what teams are, you don't want to say desperate enough, but in a position enough where they're going to offer you what you feel is is a is a is a good solid return for a guy that's an impending free agent who's one of the top, in my uh, opinion, ten players in baseball, and that may ultimately be the best path uh, for the Rockies. I like you. You know, you fall in love with with guys that become great players, especially when they were raised Rockies, and and it's easy to you know to love. Trevor's story from a ball player standpoint. He's a great player. He he's as humble as a day is long. And you want to see them, as Todd Helton did, play their entire career here. The reality is that rarely happens, but I'd rather see him as part of the rebuild. And I know that word really hasn't been used, but the Rockies um, don't have the talent yet altogether, unless we see significant emergence and immediate emergence from some of the aforementioned players to say, okay, they're realistically a, a World Series contender. You felt like they were getting pretty close, you know, a couple of years ago, but a couple of key cogs are gone. Um, would, would you like to see Trevor be the centerpiece of that, you know, rebuild? Would you like to see it quick? Uh, sure. Selfishly, absolutely. But is that realistic? And you have to have Trevor be complicit in that. And I can't answer that question. Um, you know, I don't even know if he can answer that question right now as we embark on the season. But that is going to be a huge tale of 2021, how that plays out uh, moving forward. You know it, I know it, and the Rockies know it, and Trevor Story knows it. All right, I'm going to give you a couple of uh, notes here. How about this? Sleeper breakout player for the Rockies. I'm going to select Austin Gomber, who came in the Nolan deal, who I thought was terrific in spring training and was better than I thought, at least in watching his stuff. Plus, plus curveball, better changeup than I realized he had. He's got a slider. He's got a little more fastball than I realized he had. And he pounded the strike zone, just uh, two walks during spring training. Four of his six outings were uh, run free. And the one bad outing he had, the wind was blowing out at a crazy uh, uh, velocity, and he gave up, you know, four home runs in that. But I, I, I'm going to say Austin Gomber is going to be a breakout player for the Rockies this year. The next big thing. Who's the next big thing that people are like, wow, didn't know about this guy? Well, I think it could be a guy that's not going to start the year with the team. And that is Colton Welker. If you listen to some of our broadcasts in spring training on 18T Sportsnet, I mentioned that he reminds you a little bit of Garrett Atkins and that Garrett Atkins wasn't this great athlete or this, you know, beautiful body guy, but he could flat out rake. Garrett Atkins could hit all day long. And Colton Welker, you know, 6'1, 235 pounds, again, not body beautiful but he can hit. And I think he can be a doubles machine and a 20-plus homer type of guy when given a a full slate of games. It's not happening initially, but at some point in time, I think we're going to see Colton Welker this year. So he could be the next big thing. Got my fingers crossed on that one. 
All stars. Here's a prediction for you. I told you I wasn't going to do a lot of this, but I will do this uh, here. The Rockies All Stars in 2021 will be Trevor Story and Daniel Bard. Daniel Bard was lights out this spring. He just picked up where he left off. He was an easy 98, 99, wicked slider. He was working in more changeups during the spring. If the Rockies can carry a lead to the ninth inning, man, I got a ton of faith. I mean, a ton of faith in Daniel Bard. I think he'll be an all-star this year. And an honorable mention will go to C.J. Crone. I, I'm I'm all in on Crone. I got my fingers crossed he can stay healthy. He dealt with a knee injury last year that limited him to a you know a handful of games basically uh, for Detroit. But if he's healthy, he's going to do damage. He's going to do significant damage. So he'd be my honorable mention in terms of uh, potentially being an All Star in 2021. Overall, this is a season of opportunity for so many players that are. You know, in that 500 to 1,000 at bat level so far in their career. And I would even include Ryan McMahon in that group where this is their team now. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's their opportunity to become bona fide big leaguers and impactful big leaguers. It is all about opportunity and what guys do with it. And that is what you're going to hear from me on this podcast. You're going to hear me repeat that, I'm sure, quite a bit on the tube as well. So that's kind of my synopsis as we're on the uh, eve of opening day. It's going to be great to see fans at Coors Field, more than 21,000 each day for the opening series, and it's just going to uh, likely grow from there, so it'll be awesome. And uh, the journey begins for real on on Thursday, and uh, really looking forward to it. And I think uh, you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Charlie Blackman, because when you visit with Chuck, it's never dull and it's always unique, and you never know what you're going to hear. So with that, we move forward with our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. It is the one and only right fielder for the Colorado Rockies, one Charlie Blackman. All right, you have a unique way of describing many different things, and as a father, I flash back to when I had my three boys. I don't think I ever referred to the birth of one of my kids as a Rubik's Cube that I have to figure out. That was that was novel, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of like how I, I feel, you know. I feel like I'm a little bit in over my head. Um, and it's, it's sometimes, you know there's something that you need to be doing that's the right thing. I just don't know what it is a lot. <laughs> There's no books, really. I mean, there's all kinds of books, but there's no, you know, definitive, okay, she does this, therefore I counter with this, right? Yeah, you just, I think you just got to wait for your instincts to kick in and then just kind of get in there and get to know your baby. Um, But there's, yeah, there's certainly no, I read some books. They were mildly helpful, you know, Uh, it's. It's, it's something you, you're not really prepared for until it happens to you. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you this, and I think every parent feels this. They all of a sudden fully understand. And I know how close a, a family you are. I know you're very close with your folks. Um, they, when you have a kid, you fully kind of get it. 
the unconditional love that they have for you, and in this case, for you and your sister. And was that was that one of uh, those uh, moments in life where the light went on? I had heard that and thought it kind of would be, and I really, really love my daughter. But I don't feel like my world is, like, completely changed. I really don't. I, I keep hearing that. Um, I feel like it's just my family's grown by one. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm a completely different person. I don't have a completely different perspective on the world. Okay. Uh, I let you down there. <laughs> no, you hey, listen. You didn't, you didn't let me down. One of the one of the things that's great about you is you're authentic. You, you don't read off, uh, you know, out of the manual on how to answer uh, questions when being interviewed. So I appreciate that, man. I hope Did you Were you able to, between the fact that Ashley was very close to giving birth um, and COVID, uh, it's always good to catch up with you after the off-season because you usually do something adventurous. Um, Were you able to at all? Well, I had to cut back quite a bit this year. Um, And then we we couldn't travel that much with the baby. Uh, or or Ashley being pregnant really far along. Uh, but we did go, I was able to go down to Key West a couple times uh, and make make it a fishing trip. One was a fishing trip slash baby moon. Uh, mm-hmm. And one was just, uh, my wife was really awesome and just let me go after the birth of the baby. She let me go fishing for a couple of days. Uh, and that's about it, though. Did you catch anything big? No, caught some barracuda. I'd never done that before. That was a lot of fun. Is that a good fight? It is really exciting, and I don't know why I've never done it, and I definitely want to do it again. It's awesome. How far offshore do you have to be to get barracuda? You can walk there. I mean, what I was doing was inshore flats fishing, and this is all like inshore flats, you know, within sight of land. Uh, that you, you know, it's so shallow you can you walk wade uh, a lot of this water. So it's it's very accessible. That's awesome. I may have to try that sometime. Hey, by the way, one thing from your from your recent past, um, because you didn't get to do it being a college athlete. One of those off seasons recently, you, you threw the backpack on and uh, you know did the whole hostel thing, met, you know going through Europe, which I did back in my late in my college life, and then then after was that one of the more fulfilling off seasons for you? Yeah, that was kind of like uh, my personal walkabout journey. Um, I was supposed to go with a buddy of mine. And then he backed out, and then I just went by myself uh, and went to flew to Europe. And then I downloaded one of those little apps, like one of those local European regional airline apps. Uh And I never knew where I was going until I got to the city previous, like, so I, I flew into a city, and then I never spent more than three days in the city, and I never knew where I was going next when I landed, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I would awesome. land in three days. I would fly or ride a train or or ride a 
the channel or whatever it was and go somewhere different in three days, but I didn't know where I was going. So it was kind of an open-ended, like, three-week. I bought a round-trip ticket, so I only knew the one city that I was flying in and out of, and that was it. It's rewarding, isn't it? You meet people from all over the world. It gives you a different perspective. Really cool. Americans think differently about travel than a lot of the people that I encountered, and uh, it was, you know, it was just different. I, I, I can't say it was, I mean, I can definitely say it was good, but it was, it was just eye-opening, you know, like different perspectives, different experiences. Uh, you meet different people from different parts of the world, and you see what's important to them. And it's not always the same thing as you might think. Uh, yeah. It was cool. All right. World of baseball. Uh, you know, all Rockies fans, you've had this question already. Uh, you know, had, they had their world turned upside down when Nolan gets uh, dealt to St. Louis. Uh, what was your initial reaction? And now that it's, uh, you know, almost two months ago, what's your reaction now? Well, initially, I was pretty bummed out that, you know, I'm not going to be around Nolan anymore. He's a good buddy of mine, and uh, I like playing baseball with Nolan. And then, you know, and then after that, I was like, oh, dang, that stinks because he's one of our best players. And so that, you know, that part's also pretty tough. Um, and then now that we're a little bit further down the road, I'm a little, you know, a little more comfortable with it. Um We've had some guys play well this spring. Uh, some guys play better defensively over there than I had expected. Uh, you know, I just think uh, it, it's, it's obviously hard to replace a player like Nolan. Um, but I think we're, you know, we've got some competitive guys that we're going to be able to stick over there. It, it seems like collectively – you all have taken it almost personally that the greater cognoscenta, if you will, of, of baseball people don't see the Rockies being much of a factor in in 2021. And I kind of liked your initial response. So I'll ask you to either reiterate it or embellish upon it now. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um... I don't care. Uh, there's, you know, they, we've got a TV network that's 24 hours of baseball. You know, like they've got to talk about something. And, um, after watching 24 hour news for a little while, I clearly understand that everything they put on there is not necessarily fact. Um, and it's half the time it's a terrible opinion too. So, uh, you know, like I don't really care so much what other people think. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a big uh, chip-on-my-shoulder guy. Like, I just want to kick everybody's butt all the time, you know, not just when other people think I'm not going to be good. You know, I, I, I don't feel like what other people outside of our locker room think has any power over me. So I don't care so much what people say, good or bad. You know, like, if, if people think you're going to be good, it's like you're not good until you until you're good. And if people think you're going to be bad, like you're not bad when we haven't even started the season yet. So like, mm -hmm. anyway, I, I, listen, I, I have, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I had Oberg on last week and I asked him to complete this sentence and I'll do the same with you. The Rockies will contend in 2021 because dot, dot, dot. Guys play well. Uh, I mean, I, that's super elementary. 
but we've got lots of good players and I've seen them all play well at times. Uh, and then last year we, you know, we didn't play well collectively. Like you can look at across the board at some of our players and say, we didn't play well because that guy didn't do as good as he normally does. And I think if, you know, if we're successful this year, I think you'll look up and you'll say, Oh, Trevor Story continued to be a great baseball player. You know, our starting pitching, uh, stayed relatively healthy and pitched like we know they can pitch. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think you'll have a lot of headlines like that. Uh, if the Rockies are successful this year, you're all of a sudden, and I say it from my perspective, cause I remember when you came up and I remember, you know, in Atlanta and, and sliding into third and, and, uh, you know, Danny Montgomery originally telling me uh, all about you. He was excited about you. Um, and now all of a sudden, dude, you're in your mid-30s. And as we talked about earlier, you're married, you got a baby. Um, do you feel like you're in your mid-30s? And, and do you do you prepare any differently because you're in your mid-30s? Not that it's ancient, because it's not. And that's uh, 57 telling you that. Um, yeah. you. You. I mean, like, I think baseball is, is – uh, is a journey, right? Like you, it's not a straight line, right? You, you're constantly learning about the game, about yourself, about your body. Uh, and then once you start to get a little older, there's more of the body adjustments to be made. You know, I'll, I'll focus on recovery a little more. I'll, I'll cut out a little bit of this, uh, just because I don't think I need it as much. Uh, you know, like I think, Yes, certainly. I think I prepare differently. Do I think that makes me any less good? No, absolutely not. I, I think I'm just becoming more efficient uh, and focusing on things that are more important, in my opinion, which I think, you know, I think helps me. I think ultimately my goal is to be uh, continuing to get better um, and continuing to help other people get better, too. Um, but, yes, it is kind of weird to look back. And, you know, I'm looking at guys coming into spring training that maybe I've never seen before, and they look so young. And, uh, you know, like, that was me, you know, a couple, a couple years ago. Uh, and, and, no, I'm not that old now, but it, it is kind of cool to see the different cycles of a, of a career, you know, you know, being super young and then making the team. And then you, you've got guys in their prime like Trevor, and then you've got – you know, guys like me who are in even more of a prime, you know. Right. Chuck, are you able to pass on and shorten the distance between when a guy is, quote unquote, young at the big league level to when they do reach their prime, whatever that uh, highest ceiling is for them? Is there any way to shorten it um, through dialogue, through uh, you know, showing guys the way as opposed to, hey, you just, you know what, you need 1,200 at-bats at this level uh, to really understand your swing and, and that sort of thing. What's your philosophy there? Yeah, I think I think ultimately it's up to the player, right? And that can be, uh, it needs to be the player making adjustments to, to reach his potential. Um, can that be sped up? Well, if the player makes his adjustments faster, uh, he can certainly do that. How, you know, how can a player make his adjustments faster? A lot of times he, he can, he can learn something, 
from himself or he can learn something about himself from other people or learn something about other people that helps himself. So I think, like I remember a couple of years ago, like before we knew Trevor was going to be an awesome baseball player and Trevor and I would have some talks about, you know, high fastballs or hitting with two strikes, you know, like little stuff like that. Not that, you know, anything that I said turned Trevor into a great baseball player, but he was asking the right questions and, and, and like trying to speed up his learning curve and trying to get better as fast as he could. And I think that's characteristic of guys who become successful in Major League Baseball. I'm going to give you a specific, and, and let me know if you've imparted anything or what your thoughts on the following is. One of the areas I believe, for what that's worth, uh, that the Rockies have to be better in offensively, um, not, not quite top to bottom, but close, is cutting down, especially some of the young guys, cutting down on the, on the strikeout rate. Um, and rather than, you know, point fingers at, at, at certain guys, is that something you discuss with some of the younger guys? And, and can it, and can it change? Yes, it can change. Um, I do think that it's going to be difficult for the Rockies just because their home park is a little bit different than every other park. Right. So it's like you're, you're constantly having to make more adjustments than everybody else going from, you know, super humid San Francisco to high and dry Colorado and back and forth. And so I think, I think if you, you know, success would look like somewhere middle of the pack when it comes to some numbers. Um, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, I, I, I also think. It's maybe not so much like just don't strike out when you get to two strikes. I think it's it's from from OO. I think we could do a better job with um, our chase percentage or um, you know miss fewer pitches over the plate. You know, I think there's a whole handful of things that if we do them right, it it it, it makes us a better offensive team. And it's not just one thing of like cutting down the strikeouts. I mean, that certainly would help. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't want you to roll over a team hopper on the infield just so you didn't strike out. Like there's very few times where that benefits you. Um, I think we should do a lot of the things better, you know, that helps us get the two strikes less. Yeah. Well, you're an analytical guy. Are there certain, um, new numbers that you pay attention to new measurements that, um, you are checking out periodically or regularly? Uh, yes. Um, I think, you know, the, the more I play the game, the more I realize it's you're kind of trying to catch the, the, the right mindset. Like I'm trying to harness the exact right thing to think while I'm hitting. And that usually results, right? If I, if I, if I, get worried about striking out and I, that's what my mind is thinking. I'm not going to be as good of a hitter. If I, uh, I'm trying to hit the ball 600 feet, I'm probably not as good of a hitter as what I'm thinking when things are going really well and I'm just being super simple and seeing the ball. So I'm, I'm more frequently trying to chase that, that, and I can more or less figure out when I'm doing it wrong. And a lot of times I'll use certain metrics like, you know, hitting ahead in the count, behind in the count, um, 
hit percentage on certain areas of the zone, uh, you know, certain things like that that I think I'll use more and more uh, this year to help me be a better hitter. Will you ever go up for an entire bat and say sit soft, or are you more of a location guy? Is it more pitch to pitch? I have a few different approaches in my playbook. Um, hopefully, I can just go up there and look for fastballs down the middle, right? That's that's kind of what nice. guys have been doing for a long time. And when everything's going great and I feel really good, I can kind of stay there and adjust to a lot of other things. Um, sometimes I think you have to go away from that. I think uh, in the you know the situation, the score, the pitcher will dictate a lot of that. Um, and yeah, so sometimes sometimes I'll look for certain pitches. Sometimes I'll look for certain parts of the zone. Um, that doesn't happen a ton, but you know, plan A is always look for the hard straight one right down the middle, and then work off of that. We'll have more with one Charlie Blackman in a moment, but first this from my friends at Ideal Home Loans. 303-867-7000 is the number, 303-867-7000. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. I love to tell people that because you know to get one of those, you have to have been satisfying people for a long period of time, and that's what they've done. They're in their 20th year of helping save people money, getting them through sometimes what can be an arduous and uh, pressure-filled process of getting a loan or refinance, or maybe it's consolidating debt, and they're going to take wonderful care of you. I've used them on a number of occasions. I've sent a number of people to them, and they've all been tremendously satisfied at the end of the day. It is Ideal Home Loans, Brent Ivinson's team. They can be reached at uh, 303-867-7000. That's 303-867-7000. Ideal Home Loans. Now more with the one and only Chuck Nasty. Hey, there's a term, Chuck, that I don't like that's become very in vogue the last four, five, six years. And I'm curious, uh, more importantly, to, to get your take on launch angle. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, launch angle. That's like saying you're like trying to reverse engineer a good, you know, good hitting. Like you, if you go out there and you say, man, this guy won the batting title. Oh, he hit a whole bunch of balls, 30 degrees, you know, and then trying to say, Hey, we need you to hit the ball at 30 degrees. You know, like, no, like if you're a good hitter, you're going to have good launch angle. You know, when you've done it. Um, yeah, I think there's, a, there's times where you can look at a guy's swing and say his swing projects for too many ground balls or his swing projects for too many fly balls and you can sort of tweak a launch angle in a swing but most i mean most guys at this level have swings that are going to hit a lot of line drives and that's kind of what launch angle is right hitting good line drives or hitting slightly elevated line drives if you have power so um i mean ground balls have been out for a hundred years. And if you need launch angle to tell you don't hit the ball on the ground, like fine, like you can be a launch angle guy. But, uh, but I knew that already. Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for that explanation because um, that one drives me absolutely nuts, especially coaching, you know, younger players and seeing, you know, 
swings with bad uh, spine angle and yada, yada, yada. I'll leave it at that. Middle of the order, Chuck, versus, you know, most of your career. Obviously, you moved a little last year, but most of your career, you were batting at the top of the order. Do you, do you like being nestled in the middle of the order? It's going to be interesting being there like, consistently this year. Um, you, you know, I, I kind of like it. I like watching a couple of at-bats unfold before I take my first at-bat. You know, that is nice. The one thing that I think will be one of my biggest adjustments is the fact that my first at-bat may come with runners on base. And, and it has almost never been that case, right? Like, I've always, you're, you know, hitting leadoff. It's like you're hitting, you know, totally clean at-bat, no you know, I don't want to call them distractions, but like clean slate, nobody on. So now it's like, oh, well, he might be pitching from the stretch for the first time. Uh, you know, it, it, it just could be that first at bat could be more important, uh, hitting in the middle of the order. And um, we'll have to see. I, I think that, you know, like I think my thoughts on that will evolve throughout the course of the year. You know, I think that I think, uh, I think it's probably harder to hit in the middle of the order, right? You're the guys that people are worried about. So if it's one, no, they're not going to lay you a fastball right over the plate because they want to walk you like that. That ain't going to happen. So I do think it will be a little bit different um, compared to hitting leadoff. Yeah. I also noticed, correct me if you um, didn't feel this way, but, I felt like you ambushed guys a little bit more last year in the abbreviated season when you were hitting, you know, third, fourth, somewhere in there, as opposed to you seem to rarely do that when you were hitting leadoff, at least initially in the game. I think you need to be able to, to swing early. I just feel like hitting leadoff dictates that you have a few more team at-bats, or at least team pitches, right? I think hitting after the pitcher, right, and the pitcher just made it the, the second out. I don't want him to, like, barely be like be off the field and not even get a cup of water before I've swung at the first pitch and made it out. Like, I just, you know, it's that guy's tired. He just ran down the line. He's pitching at altitude. Like, there's just, you know, like, I just – I feel like you have to play too much defense as a leadoff hitter sometimes. Uh, and, you know, hitting in the middle of the order, that's kind of the case. Uh, not the case, I'm sorry. Like, it, you know, like I don't want Trevor Story taking a first pitch fastball right down the middle if he thinks he's going to get it because he may not get another one, right? Like I, I just felt like if you're in the middle of the order, we want those guys swinging, swinging at pitches. They think they can hit hard. There should be fewer auto takes in, in my opinion you know because of covid last year we you know it's normally i'd see you on a day-to-day basis and obviously that wasn't feasible and, and initially that's not feasible this year i have to tell you and you know me i don't really blow smoke very well um the first 17 games last year when you are in the best league in the world hitting 500 was stupid and it wasn't you know you had you said earlier it's not like you had a bunch of 18 hoppers that found holes I mean, it was loud, and I don't know if I've – I've seen guys hot. We've all seen guys hot. I don't know if I've ever seen that kind of hot uh, with damage for that length of time. Was that the greatest run for you in terms of seeing the ball and squaring it up? Uh, just – yeah, maybe. I mean, statistically, that's, you know, that's a long time to be really locked in. Um, 
you know, I, I knew when it was happening that a lot of things were going my way, right? Like borderline pitches were going my way. Ground balls were finding holes. Like I, you know, like I, I kind of tried to keep myself down to earth and call it what it was. Like, Hey, like things are going good. And, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the game. I guess if you play long enough, like you're going to have a stretch where you feel pretty good or things seem to go your way. Um, you know, but then, you know, all the while knowing that it's not going to continue to be like that. And so I think, you know, I, I tried to keep myself from getting too high. And then on the, you know, back into that, like I was pretty bad after that for a period of time. And, and, uh, you know, I didn't let that, uh, you know, affect me too much negatively. I just kind of kept doing my thing and trying to, <clears throat> trying to swing at good pitches and, and, and think the right things in the box, you know, and not get, you know, emotionally out of whack when things aren't going your way. So it's, yeah, it was good. It was good. I'd like to hit 500 again sometime. That would be cool. Yeah, that's a good, it's nice when you can have a little league average in the big leagues. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's something you one, one, I think every guy should strive for. When it does, Chuck, when it doesn't go well, which invariably, I don't care who you are, Charlie Blackman, Mike Trout, Wookie Betts, the best players in the game, there's a one for 15 around the corner. That's just the game. Is it for you a mental thing? Is it a physical thing? Or are you pretty much able to stay, like you were describing, even keel and know that you're going to remove yourself from whatever the quote-unquote slump is? You know, I think everybody's first instinct is they go look at a bunch of video and try and find something wrong with their swing. I don't think that's, you know, that's not where I go first. It's usually I kind of check back in with myself and and make sure that I'm loose and relaxed and, you know, having, you know, positive feelings in the box and and uh, not being way too aggressive and swinging at everything. And then, you know, if I feel good about my swing, which I usually do, uh, and I'm feeling healthy, that's another thing, then it usually comes down to swinging at the right pitches. Uh, I think that's, you know, that's a big key for me. If, I, if I'm swinging at strikes consistently, I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a productive player. Uh, so, you know, I'll simplify it and I'll try and take good swings and I'll try and swing at good pitches. And then, you know, outside of that, I can't really control all the numbers so I don't get caught up in, you know, things aren't going well. Like, you know, was that a bat? Did I take good swings? Did I swing your pitches? Yes. Okay. Move on. Try and do it again the next at bat and the next. And then eventually, you know, I'll dig myself up. One of my favorite, you just touched on one of my favorite life philosophies, and it certainly is applicable in athletics uh, as much as anywhere. Control the controllables. You seem to get that at an early age. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah. There's just so much failure in baseball. You can do everything right and make an out. You know, it just, it's it's a game of, of numbers. There's a lot of numbers in baseball. So, so statistically, I just need to put myself in the best position as frequently as possible. Uh, and that's usually make as few mistakes as possible and just do, you know, try and make it more about the process, which is what, you know, that's what you can control. I can't control what the pitcher throws, what the umpire calls, you know, where they're shifted, like all that kind of stuff. So if I can, you know, consistently put myself in position to succeed, you know, I think eventually it'll work out in my favor. Hey, when fans come up to you, what's the most frequently asked question? Wow. 
that's a good one. You, you stumped me. Um, I try. I, you know what? That's that's what I endeavored to do every time we chat. At least stump you once. You stumped me. I'm impressed. It's uh, can I have a ball? Is number one. <laughs> can I take a picture? In which, unless I'm on the baseball field, in which right. case it would be, can I have an autograph? I thought you were going to tell me that a lot of the questions surround your beard. Oh, yeah. A lot of beard questions. I don't like answering beard questions. How long are you going to keep that? I, I don't know. Like, how long have you had it? Like, a long time. You know, like, I don't, I don't <laughs> like answering beard questions. First, you know, A couple more and I'll let you fly. And I appreciate it, man. Marketing of the sport. I know, obviously, how much you love the sport, how much you care about it. I love the sport. Uh, I, I love, you know, so many of the you know, intricacies and idiosyncrasies, if you will, of the sport. But with the next generation that has an attention span of um, not a whole lot, if you will, how do we capture them? How do you improve the sport, the marketing of the sport, if you will, going forward? Well, there's a billion-dollar question. Um, Multi-billion-dollar question. I think the game of baseball is super awesome. Honestly, I think we need we need more kids playing Little League. Boys, girls, I don't care. Everybody needs to play baseball, softball, play the game, fall in love with it. Uh, it's super fun. It's one of the best team sports. It's the character builder. I mean, I think that's that that's how you have fans, right? Like, you know, you really enjoy the game at a young age. Um, you know, maybe your, you know, your parents or your, your neighbor or somebody took you to a game and, and you loved it. Like, I think, I think having kids come to know it at a young age is the best way. Uh, and then also, you know, I think we needed to make it exciting, right? Like, I, I like strikeouts and home runs and cool video boards, you know, in the stadium and really good hot dogs and beer and all that stuff. I mean, I think we're, we're doing a lot of things right. Um, you know, I, I do think there's a little more, like, flashiness coming into the game, uh, which I, I can't – I think it's probably good for the game. Um, you know, I don't like it a ton. I, I don't know. Like, that's that's a kind of a gray area for me. Uh, but if I had to point to one thing, it's get more kids involved. I got you. Yeah, you're not bad flip guy, but I, I've come around because I used to – you know, I, I don't want to be the, the, the old guy on – you know, on on this front stoop that's angry. I have no problem, you know, bat flip and, and showing personality. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Um, and, and it has to fit your personality. You can't do it because, uh, you know, somebody else said or suggested that that would be something to do. I know that's not you, but I don't have an issue with it. And I hear more guys like yourself who play the game say, you know what, no big deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have, the hard part is like, having some being exciting to watch, but also respecting your opponent. Like once you, once you, once the other team feels like you don't like you're purposely being disrespectful. Like I think that's kind of when you cross the line uh, for me. Um, But but the thing is, is what if nobody cares what I think anymore? So, you know, so it doesn't matter, you know, like that's okay too. Um, Ultimately, I want, you know, I want the fans to enjoy it. And they probably want to see, you know, bat flips and, uh, you know, strikeout dances and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's exciting. And, and if, if guys, if you ruffle some feathers doing it, like, that's also exciting. 
Um, and, and so it's it's hard to play this game if you're sensitive. You know, I've I've been shown up before, and it'll happen again. You know, and um, you know that's that's part of what makes the game so exciting. Yeah. All right, Chuck, drive off, uh, so to speak, on this one. I haven't asked you. It was a big thing for a long time that you held on to that whatever it was an O four Jeep. Um, where is that relic? Is it still uh, in in a garage somewhere, or is it on a scrap heap? <laughs> no, I still own it. I drive it every, probably not every day, but uh, every week. It's it's currently at our our home in Atlanta. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like I need to get back to my roots, and I'll I'll drive it around for the day. And uh, you know, if I need to zip around town and 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 park in a parking lot where I don't care if it gets dinged up a little bit, you know, that's kind of like, that's like my like comfortable pair of jeans, you know, that car, and, you know, mm-hmm. if I just want to feel comfortable. There you, how many miles on it now? It's got like 180. That's nothing. We got another, at least another hundred. No, no problem. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say only a buck 80. You're shoot. You're good for, for at least that man. You can double that. I keep on to keep the mileage down. I take good care of it. Good deal. Yeah. Your boy DJ doing okay. Yeah, he's doing pretty good. He's just yeah. getting a bunch of hits. Yeah, he's good at that. He's good at that. Hey, Charlie, I wish you nothing but success uh, moving forward. And until uh, further notice, I will wave to you from afar. Look up in the booth every once in a while, me, Huey, and Spilly, and you know, give just give that little nod. Uh, all right, I'll give it. I'll give it a try. Thanks, Drew. Um, you got it. I'll talk to you. Thanks, Chuck. All right. Bye bye. Big thanks to uh, Chuck Nasty. Again, you never know what you're going to get with Charlie. Some of his responses just cracked me up. Hey, it's time for our Boyers What's Hot. You know who's hot? Gonzaga. And if you're listening to this, the first part of the week before the Final Four, you'll hear me say, as I said at the very outset, even though my pool, like everybody else's, you know, was thrown like trash by the side of the road. But I did have Gonzaga in all three pools that I submitted winning the national title. And nothing has taken place as we embark on the Final Four to change that opinion. They're so versatile offensively. uh, They're unique offensively. They're so focused. I believe that they will pull off something we have not seen since the 76 Bobby Knight Indiana Hoosiers, a perfect season. And I'm pulling for them because I don't know Mark Few personally. I've never done one of Gonzaga's games. But two guys that I respect, admire uh, in the game of college basketball, two guys that I know well, call Mark Few a very close friend and adore Mark Few for you know, how he runs his program and for who he is as a person. And those two individuals, one you, you guys are aware of, Tad Boyle. Uh, Tad is very close with Mark Few, spends a lot of time with uh, Mark Few, especially in the offseason. In fact, when Colorado went to Wazoo to play in Pullman, they had an off day and, and those two guys got together. And the other coach who you may not know as much about, but is is somebody that um, I admire a lot, who, who I've spent a lot of time with uh, because I've had his team so many uh, occasions over the last half a dozen years or so. And that's Leon Rice at Boise State. And he's really close with Mark Few. And I trust those guys. And as I said, th- those guys 
I think the world of Mark Few. So I'm all in. I'm all in on Gonzaga. They're the most fun team to watch. I think it'll be Gonzaga and Baylor, which is interesting because, you know, there were so many, uh, you know, upsets early on, more so than normal. But the two unquestioned top one seeds were Gonzaga and Baylor going into March Madness. And I think those two, rightfully so, are going to play for the national championship. And in a tight game, give me Gonzaga to cap off a perfect season. So next week, uh, I'm either right or I'm wrong, which uh, I spent a good portion of my life being uh, one of those, right? Hey, reminder, as always, make sure you check out the DNVR podcast with my guys Drew Kreisman and Patrick Lyons. Uh, check out DNVR. They have great material, not only their daily podcast with those guys, but uh, in the written form as well. And I join them uh, once a week. We have uh, not only good baseball and good Rockies banner, we just have a lot of fun. So make sure you check out that uh, podcast on a daily basis with uh, with Patrick and Drew. That'll do it for this edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Uh, be well, be safe, love up on one another, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast. Subscribe at iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. And leave a comment that helps other people find the show. 